Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas made history last year while helping the Seahawks make a surprising playoff berth. Where do both players stand to gain the most heading into their sophomore seasons? We're going to be diving in on our Thursday edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined for our Thursday episode by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang, and a special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening across the country in Richmond, Virginia, or you're listening in nearby Bellevue, we greatly appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. The Seahawks will be continuing OTAs. They have an open practice coming up later today. We'll have a chance tomorrow on our Friday episode to dive into some observations, some takeaways from that practice. But we are in the heat of Seattle's offseason activities, which means there's plenty of competitions underway. We already looked at center. We're going to break down where things stand so far at the right guard position. You want to talk about a divided competition among the fan base. Going to have a lot of fun talking about that. We're going to continue our pick profiles for each of Seattle's draft picks with Jarek Reed. And we're going to be taking a little bit of a dive into some player comps for that particular one. Really excited about that segment as well. Jam-packed episode coming your way. So without further ado, let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on our Thursday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Last year, Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas became just the third set of rookie tackles to start for the same team in week one since the 1970 merger. It truly was history, and it's only the second set of tackles out of three teams that did this that actually had their players start more than 10 games together. It truly was a historic season, and Cross and Lucas were key parts of a top 10 scoring offense to help catapult the Seahawks to the playoffs. And of course, we hear this all the time. Year two is the year where players make the greatest leap, that second year leap. And with offensive linemen, it can be a little bit tricky trying to diagnose what needs to improve for certain players. But in the case of Cross and Lucas, uh, there's plenty of things we can look at statistically and on film that point to areas where they stand to gain the most going into year two, Rob. So let's start this off with Charles Cross, the number nine overall pick, starter at left tackle from day one. There were plenty of positives for him last year, including I thought he had two of his best games playing against Nick Bosa last year in the 49ers. I thought he elevated his game against some really good teams. Then you saw the other side of the coin against some teams that weren't quite as good where he had a little bit of a slip up and gave up some sacks, gave up some pressures. But overall, feel like it was a pretty solid rookie season for Charles Cross and yet this is a guy that is only 22 years old it feels like he's barely scratching the surface of his potential and if he could just get a little bit stronger he's had this offseason to do that it does feel like the sky's the limit for the former top 10 pick yeah you, you led right into it. one of the things I think that Charles Cross needs to continue to develop and this is one of the things one of the criticisms I had in his game when he was coming out of Mississippi State a couple of years ago Corbin is he just has to get stronger he has to kind of grow into his body um I was very encouraged by what I saw from Charles Cross and from Abe Lucas as rookie 
you know, again, I, I just think that there are certain baseline expectations that the Seahawks fans are going to have for Charles Cross and Abe Lucas, as well as the quarterback, Geno Smith. And uh, I think that Charles Cross specifically had a pretty strong season a year ago. I love the fact that you highlighted his performance against Nick Bosa, arguably the best defensive player that Cross was asked to, to try a, you know, to block against one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, I thought he was spectacular. But if you are able to see the statistics that Corbin has posted up here on YouTube, um, then you can see that uh, you know Charles Cross was not as dominant as perhaps the, the the hype and the buzz out there would have suggested. I mean, of all of the offensive tackles who were graded, there were 57 of them, according to Pro Football Focus. Charles Cross allowed 50 pressures. That was fifth most among all offensive tackles grade a year ago. So obviously, Corbin, there is plenty of room for improvement. But still, uh, I think that that baseline expectation that Charles Cross created the left tackle position more than justified his number, number, his number nine overall selection a year ago. Yeah, and I think the other stat there that really jumped out to me, we had statistics mostly from Pro Football Focus, but the guys at Sports Info Solutions also do a really good job with coming up with their own statistics. And one that I really like from them is blown blocks. And unfortunately, Charles Cross ranked eighth in that category. Again, these are categories you don't want to be near the top of the leaderboard. He had 35 blown blocks, most of those coming in pass protection, 31 of them were in pass protection. And so clearly areas to improve upon. For me, I mentioned the weight room and the reason that that's such a big thing for me with Charles Cross. He's coming from the air raid offense at Mississippi State where he wasn't asked to run block very much. And he came in at around 315 pounds. He's still a big guy. But for an NFL tackle in an NFL scheme where you're going to be asking him to run block a lot more than what he did at the college level, you'd like to see him in that 325 range or so. And I think that would allow him to hold up better at the point of attack when opposing rushers decide to bull rush him because that to me was the biggest thing that stood out as far as negatives last year. Pass rushers that were able to get their speed turned into power against him and they were able to get him on his heels. He did not have enough sand in his pants to be able to set that firm anchor that you want from your blindside protector. And there were too many times that he got bullied back into Geno Smith's lap. And you could see it in the run game, too. I expected it from that standpoint just because of the inexperience and, and the lack of snaps in the run game. But just getting stronger is going to be the number one thing for Charles Cross. And everything that I've heard is that he's added some muscle to his body going into this season. And so he's got a really good chance with that first full offseason after his rookie year to really take that step forward from a strength standpoint. And I think you'll see that transition a lot of the things in his game that he struggled with last year and be much better at him in year two. Now, as for his counterpart on the right side, Abraham Lucas, to his credit, statistics-wise, aside from giving up 10 sacks, he was the better player of the two. Only gave up 30 pressures last season. Still a number you can improve upon, but 20 fewer pressures than what Charles Cross allowed. And it feels like at times the third-round pick – was the more mature player in terms of technique and being able to handle both speed and power rushers. But like Charles Cross, there's plenty of areas where he's got to be able to take a few strides forward if he really wants to emerge as a Pro Bowl caliber player at right tackle. You know, I 100% agree. Um, and I think that it's not surprising that Abe Lucas did look a little bit more polished. Uh, you know, of course, he was a four-year starter at Washington State, had the opportunity to compete at the Senior Bowl against elite competition as well. Just came into the NFL as a, as a much more proven 
um, physically more mature uh, you know, player. He's just a couple of years older. Um, so all those things, I think, are um, were to be expected. Uh, at the same time, I do think that, again, there's some areas in which Abe Lucas can, can make some improvements. I think we've seen this over the last several years, Corbett, some, a lot of pre-snap penalties from Seattle's offensive tackles. And I, I do expect there to be significant improvement by both Lucas and Cross in year two in Seattle. Um, you know, you might remember, you know, Charles Cross really struggled initially um, with that. Again, I think that that's going to get ironed out. And I think part of it is just the familiarity with the NFL, the familiarity of Geno Smith's voice. Uh, I think it is a big part of that as well. So those are some of the things I think that Abe Lucas can work on. He is still a little bit um, segmented in his movements. It's so not always do his hands and his feet really coordinate as well. There, there were some yep. whiff blocks um, that I saw on, on tape with Abe Lucas that I didn't see with Charles Cross. Um, and, and so that to me is one area, again, which I think that Abe Lucas certainly can stand to improve upon. As you mentioned, he gave up 10 sacks. Charles Cross gave up the five. So, I mean, you're, you're talking about a significant number there in uh, differential, um, despite the fact, again, that Cross is going against usually the better pass rushers. And I will kind of throw in one last thing about Cross. You mentioned before about getting stronger. I love the fact that you said his entire body. There's a lot of people out there, they think stronger, they think of biceps, they think of chest. Where I want to see Charles Cross get stronger is in his lower body, being able to drive people off the line of scrimmage and create some movement at the point of attack. To me, that is one of the other areas which Abe Lucas came into the NFL significantly further along in his development than Charles Cross did. Yeah, he just had the bigger lower body, the more developed lower body, which is why he's able to set anchor better. It's why we saw some of those pancake blocks, especially early in the season, yeah. where when he got his hands into defenders, he was able to get them to the ground. But I love that you pointed out the sink issues, because that to me, that was the number one thing I had on my checklist, going back and rewatching a lot of the games from last year. There were so many plays where we could see Lucas when he got his hands on the defenders that he was able to be the finisher. We didn't see that necessarily from Charles Cross. They're just different style players. But you saw that imposing mauler at times for Abe Lucas. But the problem is that you didn't always see the hands getting placed into the frame. You didn't see the hands getting thrown in sync with the way that his feet were moving. And that did lead to a lot of missed blocks. And it also led to a lot of instances where he didn't get good hand placement from the get-go, ended up sliding off of blocks. A lot of times at the second level, for as athletic as he is, you didn't always see that athleticism, and it's technique-related more than the fact that he's not an athlete or he's just a workout warrior. This guy is a really good athlete for a right tackle, but it goes back to technique with him, in my opinion, that he's got to do a better job being able to marry his footwork with his hands. And if he's able to do that with the tenacity that we saw last year, the physicality in the line of scrimmage, he's got a chance to take a really big step forward. So two different players, different styles that have different areas they need to improve upon. Lucas, I think, has the body already to be a really solid right tackle in the NFL, but he's got to clean up some of those technique and fundamental related issues Whereas Charles Cross, I feel like the technique is better across the board for him, but he's got to get stronger. He's got to get his body to catch up with the defenders that he is going to be trying to block against. And I think that was the biggest issue that we saw from him a year ago. It's going to be really fun to see what both these players do in their sophomore seasons. And there's no doubt that they are going to be incredibly important to the Seahawks' chances of taking a big step forward as a team 
and potentially pushing to go deeper in the playoffs next January. Coming up next on our Thursday edition of Locked on Seahawks, we're going to continue our draft pick profiles, looking at some comps for Jarek Reed. Maybe play what's the comp for the first time in the history of Locked on Seahawks. That should be a lot of fun. We'll get to that here in a moment on our Thursday edition. This episode is brought your way by FanDuel. Make a fast break over to FanDuel during the NBA Finals because right now new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to points scored and three-pointers drained. I'm a huge fan of player prop parlays, and you can make bets such as Jimmy Butler scoring 20 points at negative 1,000 in game one of the NBA Finals. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. There's no better place to bet on all the playoff action than America's number one sportsbook. Visit FanDuel.com slash on and get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's FanDuel.com slash on. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Let's get to our daily draft pick profile. We finished the first five rounds. We're going to get to a player who we learned a lot about on last week's episode with his safeties coach from New Mexico, David Howes. That is Jarek Reed, the sixth-round pick. Had a really good workout at his pro day. Kind of came out of nowhere, was under the radar as a draft pick. And we talk about this a lot on this show, Rob. You and I aren't necessarily subscribers to the idea of player comparisons. Everybody's got their own unique traits, their own unique size. But every once in a while, there is a cop that just jumps out that you just simply cannot avoid discussing. And today is one of those days. And so I'm going to put up this diagram for you with all the testing numbers for Jarek Reed, as well as one of the NFL's best cornerbacks. I'm not talking about safeties. I'm talking about cornerbacks. And if you look at the chart here on YouTube, very similar height, 5'9". In fact, they have identical height, 196 pounds compared to 201. Bench press, fairly similar. They ran the same exact 40-yard dash time at 4.46 seconds. I erased the name off here, Rob, to see if you could figure out who this is. But it is one of the best ball-hawking corners in the NFL. And Jarek Reed has a near-identical athletic profile to this individual on the right. So I guess my question is, who's the comp in this case before we get talking about Reed's fit with the Seahawks? You know, I'm, I'm struggling to come up with a, a 5'10", 200-pound corner who has that type of athleticism. And uh, as you mentioned, you kind of gave, tried to give me a, um, you know, a, a tip there with the ball hawking ability. Um, I, I can only tell you the player that he reminds me of, Corbin. And so I, um, you know, I having been a fan, a supporter, a, you know, analyst here in the Pacific Northwest for a long time. There, there was a former University of Washington defensive back who played some safety, played some nickel, played some corner. Um, and I thought his athletic ability was underrated in terms of what he did in workouts. And But I saw instincts. I saw ball skills. I saw, uh, again, the physicality against the run. I saw everything I believe that is going to lead him to becoming an NFL uh, starter. I thought he was going to be a star. He has not become a star. He was selected by the Arizona Cardinals a couple of years ago. Now it's the Minnesota Vikings. His name is Byron Murphy Jr. And 
That to me is a similar player as what I uh, I see Jarek Reed the second as. I don't think that that's the player that you're mentioning, but still, again, there are some traits about those two that I thought were very similar. And anybody who watched what Byron Murphy did, University of Washington, I think is going to be pretty, feeling pretty good about the Seahawks getting a player in the sixth round the Arizona Cardinals selected in the second. Yeah, you're not correct on the player comp there, but I do think if we looked at some of the testing and, and some of the other numbers out there, there would be some comparables between Jarek Reed and Byron Murphy because Reed did have a pretty solid score athletically as a cornerback. And you have to remember he did play in the nickel. But to answer the question, Rob, it's actually J.C. Jackson who in 2018 posted a 7.57 relative athletic score compared to Reed's 7.71. A couple other names that stand out here, Sheldon Brown, longtime uh, standout player for the Philadelphia Eagles, another player that stacks up favorably athletically at the cornerback position. At free safety, I couldn't find any established players in the NFL that compared to Reed as a free safety with his 7.32 score score he actually scores better as a cornerback but I just found it really intriguing when we have heard about the Seahawks plans to maybe play him in that nickel role that his athletic profile most closely compares to J.C. Jackson who we know what he did with the Patriots got that nasty injury last year with the Chargers but has been one of the best corners in football for a long time I'm not saying that Jarek Reed is suddenly going to become an outside corner like J.C. Jackson but my point is he has the athletic traits that match up with a player like Jackson to play in the nickel and potentially be a standout player at that spot while also having the flexibility to play both safety positions for the Seahawks down the road. Yeah, and, and while I would have loved to have been able to you know, pull that comparison, um, I, I, I do think that there are some comparables there between he and Jackson, besides the, you know, the obvious numbers here. Um, you know, Jackson, of course, was a, was a late-round selection and wound up going to the New England Patriots, as you mentioned, Bill Belichick, I mean, who is one of the NFL's absolute legends when it comes to defense, obviously. Same kind of thing here with Jarek Reed going to Pete Carroll, and a, 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 especially in the secondary, one of the, the true geniuses of today's NFL or of the NFL. I think that that Reed also, like Jackson, is going to be able to kind of surprise people with how polished as a player that he is, uh, how productive he may wind up becoming long term and greatly out uh, outperforming the expectations of a late round selection. Yeah, it's really interesting when you look at player profiles like this, when you're talking about a player like Reed, who as a sixth round pick, you're just trying to find somewhere that he can stick. That's typically what you're looking for with players like this, who have those Swiss army knife characteristics where, well, he might be able to play free safety. He might be able to play some strong safety for us. He can play slot corner. Seattle brought in another player in free agency in Julian Love that has many of the same characteristics. He's a different body type, but still a guy that can play all of those spots with a late round pick like this. You're just trying to find what is that best fit. And I think in the case of Jarek Reed right now, the best fit for him is probably not what it's going to be two years from now down the road. Right now, I would think with the testing numbers we know and that experience in the slot, I think his best chance to maybe push for snaps on defense, I don't know if he can get on the field defensively, but I would have to believe if you're taking injuries out of the equation, that nickel position where his change of direction ability, his speed, his physicality, the way that he plays the game, I think that he fits that spot. That might be where he has the best chance to compete right now, whereas 
a couple years down the road when Quandre Diggs' contract is up. Who knows what's going to happen on that front? But two years from now, the best fit may be that center field position where he can use that 4-4-6 speed and the ball skills that he put on display when quarterbacks actually targeted him at New Mexico. Yeah, I think that's very well said. I, I agree that the nickel corner position is probably where uh, Reed might be able to make his uh, most immediate defensive or impact on defense. I think that he's going to be a special team standout from the get-go. Just his speed, again, the physicality, just the the competitiveness. I mean, this guy just – some guys are just football players and just, you know, play bigger and faster, and, and he is absolutely one of those. Uh, and, and so special teams, I do think, again, that's where you're going to really see his immediate mark. Defense, I, I'm fascinated to kind of see what happens with Trey Brown. Um, you know, Kobe Bryant and uh, and Jarek Reed, the second to me, that, that's going to be a really fun matchup. Trey Brown, to me, is the wild card here. If Seattle decides that they want to try and move him inside a little bit more than, than what they did previously. Um, so to me, that that's the wild card factor there. But I 100% agree with you. I think that long term, I think that he can be that center fielding, ball hawking, free safety. The Seahawks happen. They're very fortunate to have one of the NFL's best, of course, in Quandre Diggs. So as you mentioned, with the injury issues of uh, you know Jamal Adams, obviously, Julian Love being a very similar body type, Seattle already feels like they're a little bit protected there if Adams is not ready to play. But we know over the course of a long season um, that is going to be a, a position of concern for the Seahawks. Obviously, they're hoping that Jamal Adams, Quandre Diggs are their starting two safeties and with love sprinkling in as well. But I do feel confident that Reed has the mentality, the size, the physicality, the speed, the ball skills, all of the things that you're looking for to be able to play that role if required. Yeah, I think that's the long-term play here. But I see some parallels, not the same player, not the same athlete. Ugo Amadi did not test near as well overall as what Jarek Reed did at New Mexico's Pro Day. And you can make an argument in some regards that Jarek Reed against lesser competition, Jarek Reed was more productive across the board. But there were things that Amadi did at Oregon that Reed did not do at New Mexico. But my point is I could see a similar path there where Amadi early in his career – was seeing those reps in the slot. And he never really got that opportunity to play safety for the Seahawks. But I think that that's what their long-term viewpoint was with him. Got cut last year, wasn't fitting in with what they needed anymore. But I could see Jarek Reed, who in my opinion is a superior athlete compared to Amadi. And I think he's got better ball skills overall. I could see him being on a similar path where he starts in that nickel role. And then a couple of years from now, depending what happens with Quandre Diggs, how Seattle moves forward free safety, that could be the spot where he ends up getting developed right now to play. It's going to be like a Amadi where I expect you're going to see him playing multiple spots in offseason activities and training camp to prepare him for that. But I would think that that nickel position right now is where he fits best, free safety down the line. Special teams, that's a given. You want to make this football team, you're going to have to play well on special teams. But that flexibility, that versatility makes him a really fun day three player to watch here over the next couple of months and moving forward. Let's shift gears now to the offensive line. As I mentioned earlier, we are in the middle of OTAs. The Seahawks will be taking the field here soon for their latest open-to-media OTA, a chance for the media to get to look at the offensive and defensive players. We'll see who's actually out there. It is voluntary after all, but as we talked about with the center position, there's another spot along the offensive line that is squarely up for grabs. Right guard, Phil Haynes back on a one-year deal, and Anthony Bradford, the fourth-round pick out of LSU, set to duke it out over the next couple months. 
looking to get that starting spot across from Damian Lewis and next to whoever wins the center job. And as we did with the center position, we pulled on Twitter as well as YouTube. And I don't know that you could get much closer, Rob, than what this poll ended up being with 1,055 total votes. Over 1,000 of you voted on the question, who starts at right guard? Phil Haynes getting 50.4% of the votes, 532, Anthony Bradford, 49.6%, 523 votes. So almost dead even, almost a dead even split on this vote. And we're not talking a small sample size. Again, thanks to all the 12s out there for participating over a thousand votes on Twitter and YouTube for this poll. And it's as as much of a toss-up as you could possibly imagine at this stage. And it was interesting reading through some of the comments from fans why they were picking one player or the other. But this really is setting up to be one of those that truly is a coin flip heading towards training camp because we don't know what Bradford's going to look like. And Phil Haynes hasn't gotten a lot of experience in his four years in the NFL So he's not exactly what you would call an experienced veteran either. So it does feel like this is a positional battle that's clouded in some uncertainty, and there's still some excitement there too. Lots of excitement, at least for a guy like me. You know, we talk often, Corbin, about how, you know, you with your experience as a running back coach, running back player, you know, um, that that's one of your favorite positions. Well, you know, I was a former offensive lineman, not a very good one, but I was, and then, um, and then coached that position as well. It's to me, it, it's still where football really is played. It's the line of scrimmage. Um, and, you know, even when we first started talking, uh, you know, throughout the entire off season kind of preview, um, and we were talking about, you know, what is the matchups? What are the, the positional groups that we were most excited about watching? I mean, every time I am going to say the offensive line, especially when you're a club like the Seahawks, who struggled in pass protection, as we talked about as much um, as the Seahawks did, um, and has the two interior offensive line positions up for grabs. And again, we talked about it at center, uh, you know, but the right guard position, I think, is arguably even more fascinating because let's just assume for a moment that Phil Haynes wins that job. He's on a one year deal. So he is going to be looking to get paid as much as possible. So there's a scenario in which he plays so well that he prices himself out of Seattle's market. And, of course, Seattle already has the, the potential replacement in the fold in Bradford. The same could be the case, of course, if Bradford comes in. That's what the ideal scenario for the Seahawks because, of course, they already have him for a four-year rather than just a one-year um, with Phil Haynes. If Bradford seizes that starting job, well, then – You know, the Phil Haynes era in Seattle may have come and gone mostly last season when he obviously was starring a few games or at least rotating in with Gabe Jackson. So to me, I think this is in a lot of ways, uh, you know, the kids say low key. I think this is low key, the most fascinating positional matchup of of training camp of the offseason here, because everybody's going to talk about the wide receivers. Everybody's talking about running backs and, you know, obviously center, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I think right guard is critical because, again, you are going to have a new center, whoever that might be, um, and a right tackle with Abe Lucas as, you know, as solid as he played, as we just talked about, you know, he is far from a veteran himself. So I, I really think this is going to be a fun one to watch. I personally think that um, that you have to go with the incumbent, the more experienced player as the favorite if I was voting this. And as you said, Corbin, thank you so much. I mean, over a thousand votes and we only have nine votes separating these two players. So clearly our listeners and viewers 
um, are you know very much locked into this uh, competition as well. For me, I do think that Phil Haynes is easily the favorite at this point. Um, but at the same time, the upside of Bradford in that four-year rookie deal, Seattle's willingness to start the two rookie tackles a year ago, I think just if if Bradford can can seize this job, same argument I made before with Oluwatimi at center, if he can seize the job, hey, roll. That's what you'd love to have happen. But if the veteran and the rookie are tied heading into week one against the Los Angeles Rams and Aaron Donald, I still think you have to go with a slightly more experienced player. Yeah, this is a really interesting one that, that has a lot of contrast to the center battle because when we've talked about Oluwatimi, over 3,500 snaps in college at center. Bradford was a starter just one year at LSU. So he is not a player that is coming into the league boasting a ton of experience in the SEC. Now, he played well last year, only allowed 12 pressures in pass protection. He's known for his ability to knock defenders off the ball. So there is a lot of upside there. But I don't know necessarily that he is going to be as pro-ready coming in. Now, maybe he'll surprise me with the athletic traits that he put on display in Indianapolis, and they're going to get him coached up quickly. And it's like, you know what? This is dead even. We're just going to go with the rookie and let him go through his lumps right now. But I would tend to agree with you. And I talked about this a little bit on yesterday's show. Haynes has been getting a lot of talk, a lot of chatter, a lot of praise from the coaching staff here in the early stages of OTAs. And obviously you can take such comments as a grain of salt sometimes, but this is a player that I do think gained a lot of confidence with his opportunities last year. He played over 450 snaps. The three starts that he played in, Seahawks averaged 117 rushing yards per game, and they went 3-0. and Now, I'm not going to say that number 60 had everything to do with that, but he certainly had a key part in it, opening up run lanes for Ken Walker, the third and company. And you could see as the year went on, as he started to get more opportunities rotating with Gabe Jackson, that, yeah, there were some games where he didn't play well in pass protection, but five of the last seven games he gave up one or fewer pressures. So you take out one game that he gave up five against the Chiefs. And, oh, by the way, Chris Jones is across from him. There's some really good guards that would have numbers like that working against Chris Jones. You take that game out, I thought Phil Haynes made marked improvements as the year progressed in pass protection, and he was the better run blocker between him and Gabe Jackson. So he's only 27. He has been in the system. This is his third year working with Andy Dickerson. I think that's huge because when you're talking about center battle, Evan Brown has started 24 games, but he has not played for Andy Dickerson. He has not played in this scheme. Phil Haynes has that working for him, and that's one of the reasons he's taking on a little bit of a mentorship role. Even though he hasn't played a ton of snaps in the league, he's been with the team for four years. So I just think everything is leaning towards Phil Haynes getting this job, and I feel like the Seahawks still really want him to go out and win that job. That's why they gave him that one-year prove-it deal. If Bradford beats him out, great. We got a rookie deal here, a guy that can start for us the next four years. But it feels like the dynamic is a little bit different here when you're talking about a player that has been in the system the last couple of years, played well with his opportunities last year, is still a really young player. Evan Brown could check off a number of those boxes too, but he is a newcomer that's learning this system as well. And Oluwatimi is as seasoned as they come coming out of the college ranks into the NFL. So this just feels like a different dynamic to me. So I think Phil Haynes does have a significant advantage here that Evan Brown doesn't at the center battle. No, I, I agree with you. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, from a 
talent evaluation standpoint, you're, you're always looking at level of competition. And, you know, I have a great deal of respect for the, the quality of play on the line of scrimmage in the ACC, um, where Phil Haynes played for four years as a starter at Wake Forest before the, the Seahawks selected him, of course. But, you know, prior to his playing football at Wake Forest, I mean, he was primarily a basketball player. And while he has become more physical and strong um, as his college and NFL career has gotten going, Bradford just feels like, I mean, he almost came out of the womb as a guy who was just physically a mauling type of a player. I mean, this is a guy whose game is physicality and, oh, by the way, has some athleticism on top of it. So it's kind of like you said, it's it's just a different, there's a contrast there. He is a Bradford being the, the very strong, very powerful, naturally kind of a powerful guy, not a guy who has built himself into a powerful guy as much as, um, you know, say that the Haynes has over the course of his career. But Bradford has that athletic ability and the power that's intriguing. And again, four-year starter in the SEC, in the ACC, compared to a one-year starter in the SEC, it sounds like Phil Haynes should be much further along than Bradford. But the level of competition in the SEC is no joke. And the fact that the competition that he was facing every day in practice is significant as well, certainly much more so than Wake Forest. Um, and so, again, I think that uh, the Phil Haynes has to be the huge favorite. But at the same time, I am very excited about Anthony Bradsford's future in the Seattle as well. Yeah, I think that we would both agree that this is one of those situations where you could open the season with Phil Haynes, the starter, for a handful of games. And then when Anthony Bradford's ready to go, you throw him into the lineup. I feel like Oluwatimi has a better chance to be ready to go in week one. I just have some reservations about readiness in terms of Bradford only being a one-year starter, even though it was against SEC competition. He played against top-tier recruits on LSU's defensive line. So it's not like he's been playing against scrubs, but the amount of snaps and, and just the command that Oluwatimi has in the center position, I just feel like it's a better situation for him than Bradford out of the gate but I could certainly see Bradford winning this job midway through the season at some point and then not looking back because he does have the upside. He's got the physicality, and he just checks off a lot of the boxes the Seahawks are looking for. If Phil Haynes gets off to a quick start, though, you know maybe he's still part of their long-term plans too. And as I said, I think the organization would be okay with that because he's a guy that has worked through adversity, the injuries he's had, to put himself in this position where they paid him for another year to see if he could really take that next step with his first legitimate opportunity to be a starter. And I think that's something else to keep in mind. He's going to be looking to seize this chance that has not been in front of him, whether it's been injuries or Gabe Jackson coming to town. He just has not had that real chance to be a starter. That opportunity is now right in front of him. Will he take advantage of it or will the rookie take the job right out from under him? That's what makes it, as you said, one of the most, if not the most fascinating competitions that will be going on at Seahawks camp coming up in august as always you can follow me on twitter at corbin smith nfl you can follow rob at rob rang subscribe and follow locked on seahawks on youtube and wherever you listen to your podcast and coming up on our friday episode we are fired up to have a very special guest mina kimes of espn will be joining us to break down everything seahawks going to be a really fun show you'll want to be listening in thanks for tuning in and enjoy the rest of your thursday go hawks